It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. And a very good Friday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. We've got Bernie sitting in for John Paul today, taking your calls at 1850-333-103 and the text and WhatsApp's up and running at 0862-103-103. But I want to start with a story that I think shocked so many people on our news this morning. And this was that the, the bodies of two elderly brothers were found at a house in Mitchellstown. Fiona Corcoran, our news reporter, uh, joins me with the latest on this story. Good morning to you, Fiona. Good morning, Patricia. Now, what do we know so far uh, happened last night in Mitchellstown? Yeah, Patricia, what we know so far is that in the early hours of this morning, Gardaí were contacted by a relative of these two brothers who said that um, an incident had happened at a farm just outside Mitchellstown. It's in an area called um, Curragurum. It's just outside Mitchellstown on the Kildarry Road. And when Gardaí arrived at this farm, they discovered, first of all, um, one of the men in the yard, the body of one of the men in the yard and a subsequent search then discovered the second man in a shed and we know at this stage that they're two brothers they're aged in their 60s um, and Gardaí uh, they, they launched an investigation immediately sealing off the scene and notified the Office of the State Pathologist and post-mortem examinations will be carried out on those bodies later and the technical examination will be carried out at the scene but um, this morning Gardaí then issued a public appeal for information on a red Toyota Corolla van. It was um, Gardaí were were looking for that van in connection with this um, incident that happened at this at this farm, and the uh, public were asked if they had spotted this van to please contact nine 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 immediately and to not approach the van. And the registration number was zero three. WW1556. So that appeal is still going on. It's still live. So if anybody has spotted this van, they're asked to contact Gardaí or dial 999 immediately and let them know uh, the location of this van. And um, 
we we don't obviously this is a breaking news story across the morning we have very little information about what actually happened here but we understand that guard the um, they haven't officially launched a murder investigation but it very much looks like a murder investigation at this stage um as i said post-mortem examinations will be carried out later and that will um you know determine the course of the investigation and Gardaí are also um you know they'll, they'll be speaking to to people in relation to this but it is a rural area um i'm not sure if there are a lot of neighbors around that area um we um uh, very, the farm this will be a very quiet rural area of mm. uh, mitchellstown i mean there will be great shock waves rippling out absolutely you know, right across the north cork area and indeed uh, wider afield i mean two elderly brothers who i'm assuming have probably mm. lived on this farm all of their lives I'm not sure if both of them lived on the farm. I think one of them may have not been a resident on that farm, but I do think it is a family farm. And, um, you know, obviously for two brothers to be uh, murdered in this way, it's it's very shocking, as you said, for everybody in the community. And, you know, North Cork already had suffered shock at the start of the year when we had that um, very sad murder up in um, the woods outside um, Drummer. Um, Donnerail. So, um, you know, it's it, it's been um, a strange 2021 so far for this this region. And I suppose when people heard about the appeal as well for the van, you know, that was just another element of shock to this story. And uh, you know, we will be talking to people across the morning, and you know, obviously, people from this area will be gravely shocked and, and saddened by what has happened yeah, and indeed absolutely. the family and anybody who knows these people it's going to be um, a tough blow for them absolutely and we can check in with you if anything else breaks on this story throughout the morning and then of course also mm-hmm. in the north cork area people coming to terms with the death of the two men in the the car and the motorcycle accident outside charleville yesterday yeah, that was an accident that happened at lunchtime yesterday just on the main Cork to Limerick Road just outside Charleville, an accident involving a car and a motorbike. And um, the the driver of both of those vehicles um, was pronounced dead at the scene yesterday. So uh, Gardaí obviously um, have been investigating that collision as well and they have an appeal for information and that's ongoing as well. So if anybody... Uh, was in that area um, or who may have witnessed um, the incident or either of these two vehicles to contact Gardaí and um, give them any information that they have. But yeah, desperately sad and obviously two families affected in that incident as well. Yeah, and uh, lots of people have dash cam footage now. So if anybody mm. was in that area yesterday. OK, listen, um, are you in Mitchellstown or are you on your way to Mitchellstown? Or are you oh, uh, just actually I'm on, um, just as I'm on the phone to you, I think the van has been found um let me just see there now. Oh, yeah. Uh, the Gardaí have just confirmed that they have located the red Toyota Corolla van. So, um, uh, yeah, so that That's van has been found. So that appeal is no longer going on. Yeah, okay. we've just got confirmation there from okay. That, okay. On that thank, from the guards. Thank you for that. Let us know if you hear anything throughout the morning, Fiona, and uh, look after yourself. Bye bye. That thank is uh, Fiona Corcoran, our senior news reporter, joining us live from the Mitchellstown area with those two elderly bro- brothers. Uh, the bodies of two elderly brothers found um, earlier in the, the early hours of the morning. May they both rest in peace and sincere, sincere condolences to the families.
of those two brothers. It's just such a, one of those really, really sad, tragic uh, stories. 1850-333-103. Bernie uh, is sitting in for John Paul today. He's on a day off, so she's taking your calls if there's anything you want to share with uh, us. Hopes have been lifted for the return of nursing home visits. Now, I know a lot of people will be delighted to hear this, that nursing home visits could be back within weeks. And this is following what's been described as robust evidence that the vaccines are leading to a significant drop in infections and in deaths among uh, residents. So it's a real, real good news story. And I know all week we have been hearing from family members who are confirming that their loved one who's a resident of a nursing home has now been fully vaccinated. We know that the second round of vaccines has been ongoing for the last couple of weeks now. And then you allow a week after the second vaccine to make sure that you're fully protected and people are saying look my mother is fully vaccinated at this stage why can't I get in to see her and people are desperate just to go in and I know um, nursing homes have done really well with window visits but they're just not the same and with the way the weather has been it really hasn't lent itself to window visits people just want to get in and sit and just spend time with their loved ones so I know people will be delighted to hear that news this morning Neffitz Professor Philip Nolan provided yesterday the first real concrete evidence that vaccines are protecting the people in nursing homes both the staff and the uh, residents and after being at the front line of risk during the pandemic this certainly is great news for everybody involved in a nursing home. Philip Nolan said the past fortnight there has been a very small number of new cases in long term care homes less for example than 200 last week and if you compare that to the end of January 1,221 cases on one week in uh, January. Uh, Professor Nolan said it's been a sudden and a sharp decline and he said although the vaccination regime isn't fully complete he said you really begin to see the protection three weeks from the first dose. Now there was 58,414 people vaccinated in long term residential care homes and that was up to Monday of this week. 3,600 more will be getting another dose next week and they reckon that that should just about complete the vaccination programme. The Deputy Chief Medical Officer Dr Roland Glim confirmed an effort is to receive guidance from the expert group. Now this guidance is going to come on March the 11th and that's the date that we're expecting that they will outline how nursing home visits can best be done and of course how they can be done safely and that's what everybody wants and when we spoke with Sage Advocacy this week who were really pushing for nursing home visits I did make that point nobody wants the front door of the nursing homes thrown open much as we'd love the front door of the nursing home thrown open and everybody rushing in so once these visits can be done on you know do it safely and they're saying that the visits will be a slow and a phased in basis but I think even for people to hear that that will just give them a little sense of hope and light at the end of what has been a very dark tunnel for people in nursing homes. It's unclear what the guidance will involve at this stage but under previous relaxation of rules, residents in nursing homes and other care facilities remember when they lifted, when we came out of some of the previous lockdowns, they were allowed one visit a week by one designated person. Even if we start with that kind of a slow phased in visiting and then build it up from there. Now yesterday the HSE Chief Clinical Officer Dr Colin Henry said that the severe drop in COVID cases in residential centres and amongst health staff 
he says now could be seen as a signal of the early vaccine effect. The ongoing threat from mutant COVID variants obviously was highlighted yesterday and that's where people are still a little bit worried. There was a new case of the B1525 variant uh, was detected and this was this is a new strain. It had previously been found in the UK. It had also been found in Nigeria and I think it was a case, there was also one case found in Australia and now of course the public health officials are trying to uh, work out is it linked to recent travel. You would be assuming that it it uh, was, but certainly some good news for nursing homes and we'll take any bit of good news that we can get. And can I say, talking to nursing homes, I saw a gorgeous piece by Amy Nolan in The Echo today. Do you know one of those stories and you look at it and you look at the pictures and it puts a smile on your face and it's a story out of Cove Community Hospital who by all accounts went above and beyond the call of duty to deliver a meaningful Christmas day for 36 of their residents. And they did it last Wednesday. And these were residents who were not able to celebrate on Christmas Day because of a COVID outbreak. One of the director of nursing at Cove Nursing Home, a lady by the name of Erica Mulvihill, is interviewed on the paper today. And she said, you know, Christmas Day was very unnatural for the residents this year. They all had to stay in their own rooms. They weren't able to meet up as they would normally do and there was a real lockdown going on at Cove Community uh, Hospital. But now they have no COVID cases and I'm assuming they've all been vaccinated at this stage as well. So the nursing home decided, look, well, you know, we might not be able to do Christmas Day on the 25th of December, but what's wrong with us doing it on the 24th of February? So 25 of the residents all had Christmas dinner on Wednesday. Now, they were all socially distanced at the table. They still abided by all of the regulations, but they had the full Christmas dinner. They had the turkey, the ham, the Brussels sprouts were even out. They had um, and all of the residents dressed up in their finest and looking at some of the pictures uh, today, you can see them all, you know, beautifully dressed and beautifully turned out for their Christmas uh, dinner. And, And then what I really thought was lovely uh, was ahead of the celebration what the staff at the nursing home decided to do they got in contact with all of the residents loved ones and they said look we're going to arrange Christmas Day for next week would you like to send in a little bit of a a video message they still obviously weren't able to accept visitors into the home but they said would you like to send a a, a video message they even contacted Doris Anuthra contacted the president and told the president what they were doing they got a letter back from President Michael D. Higgins wishing the residents an enjoyable, belated Christmas. Uh, So the Christmas music playing, Santa Claus even arrived and after the dinner they watched on the big screen all of the relatives sending in their well wishes to their loved ones and then they finished up the day with a Christmas movie. They just don't say in the paper what the Christmas movie was and seemingly according to the Director of Nurses Erica Mulverhill they were all in bed asleep by seven. They were absolutely wrecked but they had a wonderful day and all of the staff dressed up in their Christmas outfits and everybody just really had a ball. So well done to all of the staff who really went above and beyond uh, the call of duty. Erica, the Director of Nursing, says, I couldn't ask for a better group. The staff go above and beyond for their residents. So, well done. That's just one of those stories that lifted my spirits today and it, it just shows how great our staff are at our nursing homes. And, you know, while it's been very tough on families and we've been focusing on 
people wanting to go in and see their loved ones and you know they're desperately missing going in to see their loved ones and we know for the residents inside in the nursing home how tough it is for them not to be able to have regular visitors from their children and their grandchildren or their spouses etc. But also let's remember and recognise the staff of these nursing homes and the work that they have been doing and the, the year that they've had, they've had a really, really difficult year in at so many of our nursing homes. We lost so many of the residents and in many cases it was the staff who were the ones that had to be with the people at end of life comforting them and then if, having to make the phone call to tell families, you know, the loved one has passed away or getting a family to come in to be with the loved one. It's been a tough, tough year so we recognise all of the staff of the nursing homes uh, as well. So well done and take a bow everyone at Cove Community Hospital and I'm thrilled to see that you had a wonderful Christmas day last Wednesday. And when I'm on about something that gave me a little bit of joy if you are, are on the internet and you have YouTube, if you Google St. Joseph's Foundation and their Jerusalem dance, the all of the staff and the clients of St. Joseph's Foundation put together their own version of the Jerusalem dance. So many people are doing it now at this stage. John Paul was saying he gets flooded with people saying, would you mention our Jerusalem a dance and I can't, we can't obviously mention them all because there's so many but well done to people that are doing it because again it's just a little thing that's lifting people's spirits and everybody's doing this fantastic dance and I love the song that goes with it but everybody's doing the dance and everybody's making sure that they're socially distanced and if you see any of the recordings people have their face masks on and in years to come we'll look back on all the Jerusalem dances and we'll remember the day when we all had to wear masks all of the time but St. Joseph's Foundation have put their own version together and they've gone around all of the different hubs dotted uh, throughout North Cork and on the some of the residential units and they were out in Liskinet at the Equine Centre uh, as well and the reason that I was particularly proud of it my own daughter Marcia she makes a fleeting <laughs> a fleeting moment at the start of it in it doing her little bit as well so that was something that gave me and my family great joy yesterday so well done to everybody in St Joseph's Foundation and as I say if you go on YouTube you can check it out yourself 1850 333 103 Bernie taking your calls Can I say thank you to Charlie Drake on behalf of the Clonbannon Ambush Centenary Commemoration Committee who very kindly sent me in a copy of their recently launched book. It's a very detailed historical, educational and it's very colourful because they've got pictures and everything in the, bo- in the book of the Clonbannon uh, Ambush. It's described as a once in a lifetime book commemorating all the information on the ambush. One of the ambushes of course in the history of the War of Independence and it honours the human sacrifice of those brave men and women who participated in the uh, civil war. Now the committee uh, feels that it's of paramount importance that we pass down the history, we pass it down to our children and to our grandchildren and our great-grandchildren and by that keep the memories alive for generations uh, to uh, come. And Charlie needs letter to me points out that Every home from Charleville on the Limerick border all the way back to Kerry, up into North Kerry, all along the West Limerick border, all in some way played a part in that particular ambush, the Clombannon ambush. And the book is now on sale from all of the usual outlets along those areas. It's priced at €10. Charlie says there's great demand for the book, so it's very much going to be on a first-come, first-served basis. So just to let you know, that is out now and available for purchase, the Clombannon ambush. 
Ambush uh, Centenary uh, book. Uh, 1850-333-103. Bernie taking your calls. You can text her WhatsApp 0862-103-103. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. Now Cork South Westall Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan has called on the government to introduce a €100 Euro voucher for over 65s to spend in hospitality business are indeed on hotel accommodation as a way to boost spending once restrictions are eased. And Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Christopher. Morning, Patricia. And you're welcome. You want this just for the over 60s, 65s. Do you feel this is an age group that has been particularly hit hard by the pandemic? I do. Uh, and I must say at the outset that, you know, this is the cohort of people that I've identified, but when I did bring it up at the parliamentary party meeting on Wednesday night, other people identified other um, cohorts of people who may have been vulnerable, those who may have been cocooning. Someone mentioned single parents. Uh, someone mentioned even students. So I think there's, this is just part of what I see as a suite of measures that would help out the most vulnerable in our society and those most impacted by this pandemic. But also I think the important thing is that this is very much as well, um, I see it as a support for a hospitality industry and a hospitality sector that's on its knees, that's incredibly frustrated. I know you're getting calls and messages into your show uh, from frustrated hoteliers, restaurant owners, cafe owners who um, just see the future as being quite bleak because in the end of the day, we're we're nearly in March now and today's a beautiful sunny day and at this time of year, usually we're gearing up for the, the start of the tourism season. St. Patrick's weekend, generally in, in towns right across County Cork, that is the kickstart of the tourism season. And unfortunately, for the second year in a row, um, these hotel owners, restaurant owners, cafe owners are having to look at empty empty rooms, empty seats, empty tables. And they're incredibly frustrated um, and angry and they need support. So this measure that I'm looking to introduce, it covers two bases. It covers a sector of society that has been terribly impacted uh, by this pandemic because of cocooning and being away from their loved ones. But it also, um, I see it as a much needed injection of cash into a, a, a hospitality sector that needs it. I saw that you also have called for an extension of the stay and spend tax scheme. But does that scheme, if it, if the government do decide to extend it, does that need to be looked at? It just appears to be so complicated. It is. It is. And that's the reason that you've had a 0.2% uptake uh, on the scheme. No, it's part of the reason. Part of the reason I feel is because it's a tax relief. And the nature of tax reliefs is that a lot of people don't avail of them. There's um, millions and millions of, of unavailed of tax reliefs out there that people just don't get around to doing or it's a bit complex, it's a bit complicated. Whereas a voucher scheme, a one-off voucher scheme where you're giving someone a voucher into their hand that a cafe or a restaurant or a hotel can just cash in is a much more straightforward, it has a proven success voucher schemes. So I think that's a better way of doing it. Now, I, would, I wouldn't take away the stay and spend scheme, but I would definitely have this running in conjunction with it because at the moment there's about 270 million uh, put aside for the, the stay and spend scheme. Only about 2% of that has been available. So all I'm asking for is a, a portion of that to be put towards a voucher scheme, which doing a rough calculation, um, there are over 600,000 people over 65. Uh, we hope that most of them will take it. All of them will take the vaccine. Uh, and, and when they get their vaccine, that they'll get a voucher. And when society opens up and when the time uh, is right, 
again because you know Patricia a lot of uh, this generation of people would have have been in the habit of going down to their local hotel on a Sunday, mm-hmm. getting the Sunday lunch, you know, the roast beef and the Yorkshire pudding or the roast chicken and the, uh, the turkey and ham. Um, and there's a fear out there, and I've t- spoken to the hospitality sector about this, there's a fear out there that those old habits will stop. Um, and this would be a nice way of giving them a nudge and giving them encouragement to, to do that. But Get them back said, in back into it, the it, habit of it. Exactly. But you are right about the hospitality sector. I mean, they're on their knees and then to hear that they're not expected to open until mid-summer, uh, they're going to need a lot of additional supports. They are. And in, in fairness, uh, and I've been from down in West Cork and Clannan Kilty, I'm in constant communication with uh, the hospitality sector. And I, I will say this, and I think they will put their hands up and say the supports today have been quite good in terms of the CRSS scheme, um, the restart grants, um, the wage subsidy schemes. They will admit that you know they could not have got through this uh, bleak winter without them. But you now it's really starting to creak. Now we're into our second year where festivals aren't happening, where the tourism season isn't kicking off. So they're, they're really worried and they're looking for extra support. So as well as this measure, what I call for, which I must say, was broadly welcomed by both the Taoiseach and Minister McGrath, who said that it would be very much a timing issue as to when we do something like this. But what I also called call for was, you know, an increase in support, an increase in the CRSS scheme, which is what the hospitality sector feels is, is essential, an extension of this wage subsidy scheme to the end of um, 2021, at least. And finally, as well, we have a, a 9% uh, VAT rate guaranteed for the hospitality sector until the end of December, at the end of the year. I'm calling for it to be continued until 2025 because, you know, if we talk about sustainable jobs and sustainable growth, tourism has will have such an important place to play post-pandemic and how we get money um, spent in, in, in our, our rural regions in particular. So um, there's a whole street of, you know, I really do feel for hospitality. I, I can't for a second even begin to understand what it's like to be looking at, uh, you know, empty uh, restaurant tables and seats it must be devastating. So, and particularly, as you uh, say, with the when the weather starts to pick up, uh, the focus really goes on the hospitality sector and they're all just boarded up and, and closed. And another issue that, that would really concern me, uh, Christopher, is that a lot in the hospitality w- could have an issue with finding staff. Because I'm assuming that a lot of people who uh, are out of work now almost a year, many of them may have decided to retrain and move to different industries. Yeah, there's two sectors in particular where I feel that that might be a case where you have, um, I think, hospitality and also music, arts and entertainment. Because, you know, uh, entertainment, for example, there hasn't been live gigs for for, um, almost a year now. Uh, There haven't been entertainment events. Uh, There's a real fear that a lot of these sound engineers, music engineers will leave the industry and get trained up in some other um, sector where that they do feel might reopen. The same could be said for the hospitality sector. But I guess that was the the main one of the main reasons for the introduction of the wage subsidy scheme, whereby that connection uh, between the employer and the employee would be kept in place. But it's certainly a fear, and 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 it is a, it's another um, anxiety that uh, the hospitality sector has for sure. Okay, and then this week the Ipsos MRBI. MRBI poll for the Irish Times showing only 45% of the respondents felt the government is doing a good job handling the pandemic. Is there a sense within your own party that you're losing the confidence of the public? Um, I'll tell you what it's like, Patricia, and and I can tell you first-hand being at the the call face and having to deal with constituents' calls um, in the constituency office and emails and letters and other communications. 
what you have at the moment is a, a situation where 50% of the callers feel that we should be doing more, that we should have mandatory quarantine for all travel, international travellers, uh, that we should um, be shutting down the borders. And another 50% are business owners, uh, etc., who are looking for the country to be reopened and looking for society to reopen. So it's really hard to, to govern in these instances where you're trying to uh, find that balance. It was interesting, I thought, what the Taoiseach said this week, that he didn't expect um, his popularity or the government's popularity to be rising in any way, shape or form over the next couple of weeks because tough decisions have to be made, decisions that don't suit everyone. So I'm not surprised. I, I would be more surprised if there was a, ma- a higher, um, I suppose, popularity rating. But I guess the question you're putting to me is that uh, people are unsatisfied with, 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 with the way things are being dealt with. I guess you have a split in society out there in the, in the fact that you have half the population wants further restrictions and half want uh, restrictions to open up. But it's a tough it's a tough role for any of the ministers there, uh, for the Taoiseach himself, for the Taunashta, to try and get that right. So there's going to be uh, frustration. Um, I totally accept that communication um, could be better and could be uh, clearer. Uh, and I think that's part of the frustration that has been felt by uh, the hospitality sector in general. But that's a message we need to learn and we need to, to get our communication. And, and the rollout of the, of the vaccine, Christopher, a lot of people are just so frustrated because, of course, we're looking at our nearest neighbours. We're all hearing of relatives who are getting vaccinated and people are just saying, what the hell is going on here? We need more vaccines. Yeah, and, and supply is the issue. But I, I will say, and, and I said it on your show um, last week and or two weeks ago, and I know we had a debate about the UK example, but we are consistently... Um, uh, in the top three in Europe when it comes to the vaccine rollout. We are seeing results. Um, I thought it was a lovely story that you led with uh, today, Patricia, in terms of the fact that we are starting to see real results that the vaccinations, those who are fully inoculated in our nursing homes, um, we're now seeing the cases and the illness levels uh, drop dramatically. Uh, And I think that is something to be very hopeful about. We're seeing the vaccination centres being opened up right across the country. I'm delighted to say that my own uh, mum, I won't say her age because she'll absolutely lynch me, but uh, she um, she was vaccinated on Wednesday. So people are over the age of 80, over the age of 75, are now starting to get phone calls from their GPs to come in and get vaccinated. So I expect, and, and I thought the, the Taoiseach in his address this week, uh, gave good timelines in terms of when we should expect vaccinations by and, and the figure of over 80% by the end of June to have, have received their first uh, dose of the vaccine. Look, it's not where we'd all like to be. We'd all like to be fully vaccinated now and open up the country. But the key is the vaccination rollout. Absolutely. But whatever about restrictions, it's vaccination rollout and identifying pockets of the disease after that. So um, I understand people's frustration. But uh, again, in terms of a European picture, we're doing quite well. OK, and of course, it's the Johnson & Johnson one, which have now has got the nod in America. We're waiting on the EU, which is expected the European Medicines Board expect to give approval around mid-March and that should be on our shores by April. That will be the game changer because that's the one-shot vaccine. It is the one-shot vaccine and I also understand that it doesn't, um, the, the Johnson Johnson uh, vaccine doesn't require um, to be kept at you know, the same temperature as we'll say the Moderna or the Pfizer vaccine is at the moment and that's important because um, I've, been con- I've been contacted in my office by uh, families and concerned relatives of um, elderly people, people in their 80s and 90s, who are um, completely uh, incapacitated and, and they, they can't uh, they can't go to their GP. They, you know, there's a lady who uh, I, I know of who has severe dementia, um, who the, the ordeal of going from their home to the GP would 
severely would cause severe regress in that person's condition. Uh, and the, the the simple fact is is that they can't bring the vaccine to her. So bringing the Johnson and Johnson um, vaccine into the uh, supply will be a game changer from that point of view as well, because uh, the you assume then because it doesn't have to be kept at a certain temperature that there can be. Um, home vaccinations yeah, which is yeah. important for people like that lady. Yeah, we've had a couple of people contact us as well and, and there's nothing the GP can do about it. They can't do home v- visits with the current Pfizer or Moderna vaccine. They just don't, they just don't travel. Alright, listen, we leave it there, um, uh, Christopher. Thank you for that and uh, Thank thanks you. for joining us on the programme. Okay. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, Cork West, uh, Fianna Fáil Dáil Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan. 1850-333-103. Bernie is taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 0862103103. With more people than ever before opting to use cremation rather than a traditional burial for their loved ones, the proposal for a specialist wall to house cremation urns is said to be the subject of a council policy. To discuss this further, I'm joined by Fomoy Councillor Deirdre O'Brien. Good morning to you, Deirdre. Good morning, Patricia. Now, Deirdre, at the moment, do we have any of these walls to house cremation urns uh, anywhere across Cork County? No, the city has the Morrison Chetney, and I think there's one in Bishoptown as well. But no, it's something I've been looking for for a while, Patricia, because like, I think, and I've been raising quite often, and I suppose there was also the issue of a rose garden. But um, I, And it is in our actually draft, uh, or sorry, in our cemetery bylaws, but like I do think it's the answer to people that they're making their plans and cremation being something that many people are considering but not having a formal place for the burial of their ashes. They're a bit reluctant to plan for the cremation, especially someone who doesn't. You know, you would get people there um, who may not want to, who may, who may not have a family grave or may not want to be buried in a family grave for some reason or other. And this would give them a place of their own. And they, like, they should by right be... Um, at the cost, it, like it would, a fraction of the cost of a conventional grave. Absolutely, and absolutely. I've been pushing this for a long time, you know, but I feel it hitting, uh, what did I say, black wall, but now I'm seeing that they said the last meeting they would look at it and that they would a draft policy would be complete from March 2021, which would be our next meeting. So I'm hoping, I'm positive now that, you know, that we may go forward this way because, you know, if you like, I would say Kilcrump and Smythe being one of the biggest graveyards and it's like, like, you know, I suppose at the moment, you know, we've population diversified and grown and it's going to come up again today that we won't have a burial room. And um, that's why I would be saying, so, like, go, you know, this and like this. Um, it would be for people be looking for, because as I say, I'm talking about Kid Crumper and Samoy, and like, I know we have an issue there with rock. And there's going to be a state of, um, a part of the graveyard that we won't be able to go lower than one, it'll carry one casket. So that would be an ideal even for a rose garden. I'm thinking like if you just um, just a place to bury the urn and just, um, like it only would take a small area and it wouldn't go down maybe more than 300 meet, uh, millimetres in depth. And the cost of construction, you know, it shouldn't be an issue here. You know, I feel that it's um, it, it's something we should be looking at now. But do you, but do you know when, when the council are, are looking at it, would they be proposing to have one, say, in every municipal district? Well, this is what I would hope for. Yeah. And as I say, like we did say, Kilcrumper, as well, look, you know, Kevin O'Keefe would have raised it back along and he was a, a counsellor and it was something he was proposing at the time, but it's been dragging their heels on it. And I do think it is something it should be. Let's start it. Like, it can be rolled up, see, you know, demand for it and whatever. But, like, one of the biggest graveyards in the area would be Kilcrumper, you know, and as I say, it, it, um, I think it would be something that they could pilot there. It, it works very well in the city. And I think they're actually talking about, I suppose, since the city came out into the county, it's grown. 
and they're going to have a problem with their graveyards. And they, they're talking like this is the, the changing caucus with the way they will, will be going, you know. Mm. And, and, and you this have this lovely. lovely suggestion of a rose garden. Yeah, I thought that'd be something lovely as well. You know, kind of the fact that you have ground there that you can't go further down, maybe than maybe one casket, that this would be ideal. And it wouldn't take us up as much room as your conventional grave because you just have a little plaque. Mm. And, you know, kind of gives... I feel like everybody wants, look, you know, like I say, there's nothing but it's amazing myself. It would be something I'd consider. But, you know, no, I, I don't think I'd like to be sitting on the, the mantelpiece either, you know? <laughs> I know. So I think everyone has a right to have it. Yeah. And, and it's for families to have somewhere to go, you know, mm-hmm. and people like mm-hmm. the idea of, you know, on birthdays or anniversaries or just to go. And, and I, I, that's why I particularly like your idea of the Rose Garden, a nice tranquil space where you can sit and, and you know, be with your own thoughts, thinking of your loved one who's passed away. That's yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah. It's very personal, very nice. Like, you know, I suppose, you know, a lot of people like to uh, make their plans and nobody wants to kind of afterwards have family worrying about where they're going or what. You know, they, they want all that out of the way be- before they pass on. Like even I had a gentleman there in from on to me. He was there last year and he wanted to pre-book and, and pay for his plot. Now, but like Cork and the Council weren't selling plots because I, I suppose they were afraid that this, the graveyard was expanding. They were only selling them as they came on demand. And, like, it, it gave him a lot of grievance because, like, he didn't want the worry being passed on to his family. And you know yourself, like, people at, at, at I suppose, at, um, very, at funeral times, like, there's a lot under a lot of, um, you know, stress and um, pressure. Yeah, so whatever, you know. Everything yeah. to, make, to make it easier for the person. OK. Yeah, exactly. this is, well, 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 keep us, keep us updated. We'll, we'll watch this one closely. And just while we have you on, uh, 30 million euros spent on flood defence in Formoy Town. Number of businesses flooded this week, um, Deirdre. What happened? Yeah, it was absolutely disappointing now, to be honest with you, um, Patricia, because, like, look, it is a success story in Formoy. And it just seems, look, investigations um, have begun and it looked, from what we gather now, there's something about a pump didn't tweak in and there was um, flooding in a gully and it came up the back of um, three premises in Mitchell's, in Formoy, sorry. And like I was in with them and like, God, your heart to go out. And like, you know, um, I suppose especially um, the pub there is closed at the moment and it went up about three or four inches inside his door and then at the back, um, it went to his storage area was up nearly two feet of the wall. You could see the marking on the wall. So like they have to contend with that. It is, you know, as I say, and I hope that they will be looked after in this and with the Wimpy as well and the base shop. And um, look, in one way, they were very, very lucky in the sense that there was a local um, bed and breakfast there, Sean Massey, who came out um, in the middle of the night and saw the water rising and alerted emergency services and that. So it could have been a lot worse for other businesses mm. there. But, but yeah, these are businesses you know, that can't get flood insurance. Is that still that the case? Is. Yeah. It, they will have to be looked after. Yeah, yeah. it's shocking. You know, it's a safety. It was, you know, and they weren't, normally now they would put um, precautionary measures in place and that. But like we've taken for granted with the um, the barriers that they've been such a success and there was no warning given to the businesses. It was just so, very unfortunate. You know. It was just a, a very unfortunate, uh, as as uh, Sean O'Reardon said in, in the paper, a bizarre series of unexpected systems failures. Okay, we'll leave it there, dear. Listen, thank you for that. And and can I uh, just say, actually, Patricia, while I have you there, I suppose, you know, the news is broken there of Mitchell's town and like yeah. the whole reading of the terrible tragedy and I just want to say, look, um, my thoughts are with the families. Uh, Paddy, actually, one of the the men would have been very well known to me. His gentle soul worked uh, locally here in Sutton's Hanover and JD and would have been, um, I think, would have gone over and above 
the Call of Duty when you go to work with him, you know, he, our go to get uh, for service, he was fantastic. Okay, so, you know, okay, I, I, we leave it. We're, we're we're not naming them as at this point, but but listen, Sorry, Deirdre, I appreciate that. Uh, thank you for that, and thanks for joining us. No um, good thank morning you. to you. Bye bye. That is uh, Councillor Deirdre O'Brien, eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. This is Court Today. Court Today with Patricia Messenger on C one zero three. Now, a number of people uh, commenting on the piece that I did with Councillor Deirdre O'Brien on this proposal by Cork County Council. They're looking at trying to install some kind of a specialist wall that would house cremation urns. Now, to me, in an ideal world, they would have one of these at every, at least every single municipal district, if not in at least every single town, because more and more people are certainly opting to have their loved ones uh, cremated. And a couple of people have been on to us. John in Holly Hill was on uh, with his his story to say his son uh, sadly passed away and was cremated last year and they actually still have the ashes in the urn at home but they have a reason why they're, ho- why they're holding on to the ashes is that they're hoping to take the ashes with them on a journey and a trip to America. Their son always wanted to go to America and he never got to go and they've decided that it's something that they want to do in his memory is actually bring the urn with the ashes and just bring them to America and they'll bring them back and then he said that he was so interested to hear about these uh, walls to house cremation and he said he'd look into where they are in the city but they're hanging on to them until obviously travel we can travel again but he's, their, their family's plan is, is to take the urn and to bring his son with him to make the trip that he never managed to make in life that's such a, a sweet sweet thing to do and I imagine it'll be an emotional trip John for you and the family thank you by the way for sharing that uh, with us uh, Heidi says Hi Patricia these walls to keep their, your loved ones ashes they have them in Italy and in Greece I think they also have them in the United uh, Kingdom so for here it certainly would be a really really nice thing to do and another listener says why not build a crematorium in Formoy well I know there's been talks of trying to build a crematorium in Canturk out by where the old Duhalla Park Hotel is and a lot of people in that area certainly not in favour of having a crematorium there there's the beautiful one in, in the city It's uh, I've, I've been at one two I think cremations there it's, it is quite stunning the one that we have in Cork City we are uh, truly blessed to have that but do we do need more yeah I thought it was interesting when Councillor Deirdre O'Brien was talking about it we're going to get to the stage where we're going to run out of cemetery space for the traditional burials. We will be following what other countries have had no choice but to do when they have a large population base and there there isn't enough spaces in cemeteries. The only other option is for loved ones to be cremated and then obviously you have these walls uh, that are called... um, columbarium walls isn't that how you pronounce it and Helena says uh, Patricia when you're talking about the Ashes Memorial Wall in Australia they are placed in the yard in the Catholic Church that I attended a beautiful peaceful space every little space has a holder where the family can can put in a little small bunch of flowers the priest would say prayers there every now and again Uh, they call it a, a a columbarium columbarium wall that is from Alina so yes they do have them and they work very successfully in other countries thank you for those comments uh, in and then a lot of other issues coming in to us uh, thank you to a Cork City listener for very kind words about the show this morning I appreciate that thank you for it and the listener ends with the sun is shining this morning and hopefully the vaccines will work have a good weekend uh, absolutely and that's uh, so say all of us and it's 
try and appreciate any good bit of weather that we get. Actually, talking of thank yous, just to remind you, we're, we are going to be talking about the, the first ever national thank you day that's been proposed for next Sunday. And the idea is, is to thank people who, you, who have helped you out in some way at this year. And please feel free to use the radio today if and use the programme if you want to. If there's somebody in particular that you would like to thank, maybe there's an individual you'd like to thank or a group of people that you'd like to thank. Anyone who has just tried to make the last year, which has been such a crazy year for all of us, but anyone who has in any way helped make the year a little bit easier. And like I was talking about when I spoke about Cove Community Hospital and how fantastic the staff were to organise the special Christmas Day event last Wednesday because they didn't have Christmas this last year. And and I thought that was a wonderful, wonderful thing to do. And I'm, I'm sure on behalf of all of the family and the residents, a big, big thank you to all of the staff there. And then I spoke about how we can be so thankful and so appreciative of all of our nursing home staff. That has led Tim and Yall to say, Patricia, would you be ever be kind enough to mention the work done by retail workers around the country. I've no personal connection with retail workers but I take my hat off to them. You see them every day risk their own health, their lives and their families' lives serving the people of Ireland every day without fail. God only knows if we had a food distribution shortage. So I would like to thank them for their huge contribution to our well-being during this terrible pandemic. And that's from Tim and you all. Thank you for that, Tim. So to all retail workers, a big, big thank you on behalf of Tim from you all and indeed all of our listeners today. So anybody else that wants to send in by text, WhatsApp, if you want to give Bernie a call, if there's you know, someone or a group of people that you want to thank, uh, feel free, please feel free to contact us. And then some people commenting when we were talking with Deputy Christopher O'Sullivan, who was suggesting this 100 euro voucher would be given to everybody over the age of 65 and they would go out and spend it in hospitality when restrictions are eased. Um, obviously, Ed in Douglas certainly doesn't agree with uh, Christopher uh, and hearing that the spend and save scheme for the hospitality sector, it's going to be about 60 million euro. He said the 60 million euro should be given to families. They need the money more. Ed says, by the way, I'm over 60 65, so I would be one of the people that would be entitled to it if it is passed. Uh, but I'm just so grateful to be getting the vaccine, to said in Cork. So if there's any spare money going, would you give it to families, please? Olive says, we're only a tiny island. They've opened the doors wide. Everyone allowed in and out. We haven't a clue in this country. We're leaving in all different strains of the virus. And then we try to do something about it afterwards, says Olive. And Meg says it's a big mistake to be encouraging people to travel around if we don't cop on this year the virus will never go away go go away and that was in reaction to Christopher saying that people would go out and spend the money or go stay in a hotel he did preface it by saying it's when restrictions are eased he's not saying that people would get the vouchers now and would be going out next week it's when the hospitality sector is back up and running and when restaurants are open and when hotels are open and and people can get out and about that's what he is actually uh, talking about and the listener says when will this vaccine be rolled out properly. There was a woman on Joe Duffy yesterday. Her dad is 85 and he had an appointment for his vaccination for yesterday and it was cancelled on Wednesday evening. The doctor's practice had to cancel 90 jabs for yesterday and 90 more that were due to be held today and that's only from one doctor. Michael and Leo really need to step up pressure on the EU for more uh, vaccines. 
Yeah, there was a number of, I don't know how many in total, because I did hear the the HSE talk about, about this yesterday. The What they've come out with is several GP practices. They're not giving an actual number, but several GP practices have ended up having problems with the deliveries of their COVID-19 uh, vaccines. And it has, you are right, it has led to delays for many patients over the age of uh, 85 and in some cases clinics had to be completely cancelled because the vaccines didn't uh, arrive. Some hadn't received what was to be expected deliveries. Others, Other doctors then got too little which must be dreadful. Say a doctor that was due to have 80 of his patients in he'd given them all their times they were all coming in and suddenly the vaccines arrived and there's only 50. So that means 30 on the list had to be uh, uh, contacted and then I heard of other GP practices that got too many. Now I don't know was there an awful lot that that happened with I know in one case the order went in wrong there was an extra note put on it so say somebody had ordered 50 vaccines and he got 500 instead and there was a bit of a hassle then trying to get the vaccines back and get them to the GP practices that did need them so there certainly has been a little bit of teething problems with the rolling out of the vaccines out to the GP practices and it seems to be from what I can gather reading any reports that I've read, it seems to be doctors in rural practices. So it would have been some of the smaller practices. Now, up to last week, 14,614 people aged 85 and older had been given their vaccination. Paul Reid said work was underway to address the problems that they're experiencing this week and they are still on track to have everybody over the age of 70 fully vaccinated by mid-May and even though there was some slight problems this week that is not going to be that that certainly is not going to be affected uh, by that and I know there is a big there is a big, it's tomorrow isn't it in Bishopstown where there's about 20 GP practices coming together and there's a rollout of the vaccine there, it's been used in the vaccination uh, centre but certainly very disappointing for people who would have got a phone call for an appointment to come to their GP practice and then my heart goes out to the GP practice who then had to ring their patients and these are patients that they know really well and have built up such a great relationship with over the years to have to ring them to say I'm sorry I have to cancel you and I'm not too sure when I'm going to get your vaccines in but as I say HSE are aware of the issues they're getting on top of it they were planning on contacting every single GP practice that had been left out or something went wrong with the order and they were planning on doing it yesterday or as late as today and they will get new dates for them so hopefully that will be sorted out uh, very very quickly indeed and then John says Patricia my alarm clock every morning is at 9am sharp do you know what my alarm clock is says John it's the sound of most of my neighbours tipping up their glass recycling bins topping up their glass recycling bins with empty beer and wine bottles I can actually tell you now the difference between the sound of a beer bottle and the sound of a wine bottle wouldn't it make you wonder why us as a society has a dependency on alcohol even the government wouldn't close off all the off licences during any of the lockdowns because it was deemed an essential business drink is fuel for COVID-19 we see that every night on the news We will see a lot more of it when we get the good weather. Drink and COVID. 
they really mix very well from COVID's point of view but from the suppression of the virus they certainly don't mix it's only a matter of time wait and see and there's John calling for a close off of the off licence and John you're not the first on this programme certainly to say we need to close the off licence but you know any time that we have a discussion on that or any time we open the phone lines when we get a call in like that saying all of the off licences should be closed which includes the sale of all alcohol at the supermarkets we will then get a flurry of calls in from people to say I don't drink that much but I enjoy maybe my glass of wine at the weekend or my couple of bottles of beer on the weekend and if you decide to go down that route of closing off the off licences for the people that are abusing the alcohol all that happens is people who enjoy a couple of drinks and not abusing it in any way they also get affected by it so it's it's a kind of it's to try and strike the balance and, and get the balance uh, right thank you though for your uh, comment and hi Patricia says Michael in Castletown Bear good news stories are rolling in this morning there's a good one coming out of the USA in that President Joe Biden has vaccinated 50 million people in his first 37 days in office and they've also now come out in the States I must look into this when I come off air to say that the Pfizer vaccine no longer has to be stored at the extreme sub-zero conditions but it can be treated the same as any other vaccine. Oh, now if that is the case and the you will obviously need the European Medicines Board to approve that move but if that's the case that will certainly make a big difference because that will mean those people who contacted us yesterday who are having problems with elderly patient, pa- parents who are housebound and the doctors are saying can't bring the vaccine out to you because the Pfizer vaccine doesn't travel because of the storage at sub-zero uh, conditions. That certainly would make a big, big uh, difference. Thank you for that, uh, Michael. And thank you to, is there a name on this, Mary, who watched the St. Joseph's Foundation Jerusalem dance that I mentioned at the top of the programme. She says, what a fantastic group of people. I'm sure you're a very proud mom to see your lovely daughter, Marcia, taking part. Well done. <laughs> I was very proud, I have to say. She just does her little walk up with... Uh, Carmel, her, her, the person who, her PA who works with her and how, and it was funny because when I played it at home last night when I watched it and she obviously could hear, you know, could hear the music and she was so excited and smiling. So she obviously enjoyed doing her little bit as well. So yeah, it's, it's terrific. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you to Mary for that. And what else is coming into us? Eileen in Butterfield said she was out and about yesterday. She couldn't get over the amount of young people walking up and down the street in gangs. She said she watched them carefully and none of them were doing social distancing. She said, where are these young people's parents? They're a disgrace to themselves and to their parents. Some of them are young adults and they should know better. They'll be infecting each other. And then when they start back to schools next week, will they be spreading it into the schools? Well, if they're young adults in secondary school, the only group going back are the Leaving Cert uh, students. The rest of the secondary school population will not be going back until after the Easter holidays, which I think is is it the 14th of April. They're off until... And that is one of the arguments that many people put forward when schools closed. If if schools were open, none of those young people would have, would have been wandering up and down the streets. They would have all been in school. And by not having them in school, there's always that danger. Are they spreading the infection by meeting up in, in gangs like that? So are they safer in school? And only time will tell because, of course, we know the schools for the smallies are reopening on uh, Monday. And we're going to be talking about that topic in just a moment. With primary schools set to open next Monday for some classes for the first time since the Christmas holidays, let's see how teachers are 
are preparing for the day. Joining me from the Irish National Teachers Organization is their president, uh, Mary Magner. Good morning. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information, and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Morning to you, Mary. Uh, good morning, Patricia. You're welcome to the programme. Is there a sense of nervousness or a sense of excitement or is it a bit of both about the school doors reopening next Monday? Well, I would say, I would I would imagine, I would say it would be a bit of both, Patricia, you know, a little bit of apprehension, but there is no doubt that teachers are looking forward to meeting their pupils again that they haven't seen since before Christmas. So there is a bit of excitement, and, uh, and like that, I know that uh, pupils and parents are absolutely delighted to be returning to school. That is now those of them from uh, junior infants up to second class. And as you know, that there is a phase basis, um, you know, the government have um, are opening schools on a phase basis. So our special schools and our special classes will be open in full from next Monday and then from junior infants to second class then uh, returning to school. So there is a sense of excitement, of course, and um, the weather is certainly um there's a sense of expectation today with today's beautiful weather and that the vaccines are having an effect on reducing the um transmission of the virus or preventing uh, preventing it you know so um a little bit of hope out there despite the fact that i must acknowledge yes that some teachers and some parents and possibly some children too are a little bit of apprehensive and probably a little bit anxious, you know, in returning to school. Mm. And will our allowances been made for for teachers or staff that may be medically vulnerable, Mary? 
Well, now the INTO, I suppose, have uh, worked very closely with the department on this, and we have, you know, um, insisted that robust uh, risk, risk mitigation measures would be pre- put in place. So the department have augmented the school support teams in all the HSD areas to provide advice, to provide contact tracing and bulk fast-track testing when required. And the Department of Education have redeployed about 50 inspectors, you know, to augment those teams. So they are going to be in place. But there will be flexible arrangements for staff in the high-risk categories mm. and, um, and, and to, you know, so that they can continue to work from home throughout the first phase of the return to the schools. Pregnant teachers being one of them, they are not required to return to school um, if they so wish for the phase period and should continue to work remotely from home until further notice. And also those teachers or staff, it is included as well, um, um, that are over 60 years of age, um, they are included in that category as well. Okay, so So, it's just the first four classes uh, heading back on uh, Monday. And then it's two weeks later. Is that a definite for all classes or is that dependent on where the virus is? No, this this will be under a review, Patricia. It is not a definite date. It is the date that the department are, um, are seeking to, you know, to achieve. But it will depend on public health advice. Now, we are assured that, um, that the public health will be giving us weekly reports on, um, on the, on the um, number of cases, if any, in schools and the transmission rates, if any, in schools, you know, on a weekly basis. So um, there will be kind of evidence around that. So it will be based on um, that evidence in the schools and obviously, uh, you know, the, the impact of the virus in the whole community as well will probably come into, into that melee as well. OK, so, and then parents also, Mary, very much have a role to play in keeping schools safe by making sure that they don't send their children in with any COVID symptoms or if anybody in the household has COVID symptoms. Absolutely, or any symptoms outside of that, like their schools uh, will be requested to ask parents really to strictly adhere to this, that if their child is not feeling well on the morning, that they would keep that child at home until it is determined uh, whether that child is either has to be tested or whether the, the child, you know, um, is just displaying kind of flu-like symptoms, you know, mm. that um, they would keep the, that keeps everybody in school safe, and and it it, um, it helps the sustainability of keeping the schools open on a long-term basis. So we are uh, we requested a public um, awareness campaign designed, you know, to ensure compliance with public health advice in the schools. And to remind not only the parental um, um, community, but also to remind the, the, the wider society of its responsibility and role in supporting the sustain- sustainability of schools, you know, and remaining open during this this period. Yeah, because people um, want the schools to open, but more than ever, they want them to um, stay, stay, open. stay open. And one that we often get complaints in here from, from listeners is to do with parents congregating outside the school gates. Now, this is something that has been mentioned this time around, particularly for those the first four years. They're the smallies and they really are the parents that want to be as close to the gate so they can pick up their Johnny or their Mary. People have to be really careful about that. 
Absolutely, Patricia. And, you know, and I know, look, everybody has been isolated for the longest time or in isolation for the longest time. And they look forward to meeting, you know, their the parents of other children, etc., at the school gate and, and catching up. But, you know, schools are, are, are asking parents not to do this. And if you're picking your child up from the school gate that you would wear a mask and, you know, bringing your child to school, and, and collecting and and just leave um, as quickly as possible and not to, you know, not to have children, um, multiple children or a number of children in the car or a uh, car around, you know, just um, just to keep the, the prevention or to keep the, to prevent the, um, you know, to prevent the infection spreading. Mm. So kind of rigorous adherence to these um, mitigation measures is required and it has been highly effective in the first um, term when in September when we did return to schools. Um, schools were very um, strict about following the protocols, the hand sanitising, the hand washing, etc., the um, retaining the bubbles and the pods within in the classrooms. And they were deemed relatively safe in, you know, in relative terms to, to the community spread that was out there. So, again, you know, I suppose we can't emphasise enough, you know, for the schools to remain open that parents and the wider community etc. Everyone um, has a role because of course when you went back in September Mary we didn't have the UK variant I mean that's the big difference isn't it this time around because that UK variant is just so contagious. It is very contagious at the 117 and also the, you know, the news today now of the kind of the Nigerian There's variant, another one, yeah. 1525, whatever, it, you know, is... Um, you know, it's not good news, but I suppose um, Dr. Ronan Glenn did say that the vaccine, and they're augmenting the rollout of the vaccine, and that should help, you know, the prevention of those um, or those variants. Mm. But again, I suppose it's down, down to kind of due diligence and avoiding congregation of people, you know, inside or outside of schools um, and in the community that, you know, to suppress the virus is, is okay. key. Uh, Mary, what about mask wearing? Do you believe it should be mandatory for primary school children as it is for secondary? Now, in our negotiations with the department, we did, uh, we wanted that the mask wearing for the older children would be made mandatory. We just felt ourselves that um, it, it would help to reduce the risk of infection in schools. And, and children are used to wearing masks when they go to the shop and when they go to the playground, uh, regardless. So it's not something that is, um, you know, it's not something new to children. But the department and the public health have been that it is not necessary at this time. Okay, it is for the... But it is for the teachers, is it? Do the teachers wear it? The teachers have been wearing masks in school since last September. Yeah, yeah. And... Um, the and um, now there's medical high grade medical mask providers for those teachers and special ed setting and special class settings, and for teachers who have to deal with intimate care needs of children with special education needs, and also for teachers you know who are supervising yard duty that they would um you know if the if child fell on the yard and they had to administer first aid that those high-grade mass medical grants would be made available as well. Okay. And would you like to see teachers pushed up the vaccination priority list? 
everybody would like to see that. Of course, there is no doubt. Uh, now we are um, we are glad to hear that we will be in the first thirty or percent of the cohorts of people who are to be vaccinated. Um, but look, I absolutely appreciate that healthcare workers and elderly people and people in high risk, you know, um, are high priority as well. So. Um, everybody would like to be moved up that list, Patricia, mm-hmm. but, you know, um, but we are assured that we will be in the first 30%. Okay, listen, best of luck to everybody involved in heading back to school, uh, the teachers, the parents and the little ones uh, more than ever. I think the excitement is really starting to mount. And I think it's lovely to hear children excited about wanting to go back to school, isn't it? Absolutely. And I, I do know that uh, teachers are really looking forward to it and um, because I've been speaking with principals and with teachers. And while the remote learning has been quite successful and, and teachers have been working really hard and connecting with families out there, they've really gone beyond the call of duty. And I, I cannot applaud but our um, our teaching principals and our principals out there, you know, who have been at the helm of this all the time that have made the, the you know, they've already had a successful reopening of schools last September. They have worked, you know, trojanly throughout the, the whole pandemic. Um, but I do know teachers in their hearts, that's where they are at best, is in the cold face of the classroom. And also that's where children love to be, you know, and I can imagine that on Monday um, teachers it probably won't won't get a word in edgeways <laughs> with all the news that the children will have and the excitement that they have to tell them since Christmas time, you know. Oh, so. oh it's, it's great. It's great. Listen, I really appreciate you taking time out to talk to us uh, today. Thank you for that and thanks for joining us. Thank you, Patricia. Good Thank morning you. to you. Bye-bye. That is uh, Mary Magner, who is the president of the INTO, the Irish National Teachers uh, Organisation, uh, in advance of schools reopening for the first time since Christmas next Monday, 1st of March. 1850-333-103. Bernie taking your calls. Uh, you can text or WhatsApp 0862-103-103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 103. Now, last month I spoke with Graham Clifford, founder of the Sanctuary Runners, who was organising a National Day of Thank Yous, which happens to be this coming Sunday, February the 28th. And we promised we'd check in with him closer to the date. And Graham Clifford once again joins me. Good morning to you, Graham. Good morning, Patricia. How and, are you? And I'll start the thank yous. Thank you for joining us on the programme. Now, can <laughs> you, you just uh, can you just remind listeners why you decided to set up this National Day of Thank Yous? Yeah, well, I suppose the most recent wave of the pandemic, Patricia, as you well know and your listeners, has been very difficult for people. Um, it's been more difficult to be motivated and so on, and it's just it's just been grinding. And then, of course, we're approaching the one-year anniversary of the first case of COVID-19 uh, being detected in Ireland. So I kind of felt it was important, perhaps, to do something to positively distract people at this time. You know, the, you, you know already what the Sunday newspapers are going to look like this weekend, the collage of faces of people who've lost their lives to COVID-19. Um, so, you know, we respectfully remember them, but it's about as well, I suppose, looking forward in hope and resilience and harnessing all the wonderful kindness that we've all seen around us over the last year, because there isn't anybody in Cork or in Ireland who hasn't got through the last year without the kindness and help of others. And it's just taking a moment to thank those people personally. And in giving thanks to them, 
you know, you feel good yourself and then they feel good from receiving the thanks. So that was the basic idea, uh, Patricia. And it can be a very small gesture or if you want to make a very grand gesture, it really is up to individuals. It is. I suppose once it's within the uh, safety uh, guidelines at the moment, so people can, you know, post a little card or letter through a door uh, box, uh, through, 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 a, through a door, um, or they can go virtual, uh, sending a text or an email or a WhatsApp. Maybe if the younger listeners could make a TikTok uh, for somebody and send it on, or do a painting and take a picture of it and send it on, that kind of thing. I, I, I think the, 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 sometimes the, the simplest uh, um, actions and the simplest gestures can have the biggest impact. I think the whole point is just taking that moment to say thank you. Yeah, because I, I know over the years doing this show, I always love when somebody will randomly contact us to say, because something has happened, it might be the kindness of a stranger, a str- you know, a complete random stranger helping somebody out, or, or it might be something that somebody wants to go very public on. But when people take the time to say, you know, would Patricia ever give a mention to, you know, such and such because of something they did? And I always yeah. think it's, and I know that the person receiving the thank you think, you know, people don't do, don't, we don't do acts of kindness expecting a thank you but there's something lovely in receiving it but you're right there's also there's great satisfaction in giving the thanks oh totally and you know even uh, thanking people who we don't know you know like I, I think over during Covid the idea of a stranger has kind of disappeared for me anyway because we're all interconnected um, we're all on this little island together and trying our best to get through this thing so you know, thanking the person who's, okay, you might know their first name, they might work down at the local shop or the pharmacist assistant who helped you on a particularly difficult day or, you know, the lads who collected the, the, the bins on a Monday morning. You know, you can thank them as well just by, you know, sending a little thing saying, you know, thank you so much for all your help over the last year. You've really helped me and my family. Um, and that's, that's huge. I mean, I suppose the biggest thing is being thanked and not realising you've done you've done anything that's really lifted somebody's spirit. Like, I remember one day, Patricia, I went into a shop here in Fermoy, and it was a day when I was I was struggling, and I had the weight of the world on my shoulders, and I was cranky. And there was a shop assistant in just a small shop in the town, and she was really bubbly, and she was really sweet and respectful, and she asked me how I was, and I walked out of the shop 10 feet taller than when I walked in. Well done. You know? And, and she, she, would have, she would have she no would way have of really knowing realized. that. Yeah. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. I know so. you can't. You can't. I mean, if you were to, you can't. You can't put a value on something like that. And and I think taking a day when we stop and we thank, you know, the neighbour, the stranger, the friends, whatever, it, it's it's actually quite powerful. And have you had much reaction since you first mooted the suggestion on social media? Well, we got a lovely letter from President Michael D Higgins. Hey, hey. yeah, <laughs> great <laughs> guy. Ah, fantastic. And you can tell he wrote it himself, you know, often I'd be dubious about these things coming from uh, from from people in those positions, but it's very Michael D in terms of it, uh, the way it's written. And he wrote about the 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 the, um, the profound uh, importance and strength of those expressions of gratitude and appreciation. And that as we find our way through this uh, this unique time in history, and we look to a brighter future, that the solidarity that was shown in society during the last year is actually something that we can use to build a more inclusive society. So, you know, he writes about all of this in his, uh, in his letter, and it was really great to get it. 
We've had RTE have uh, supported us as well. They put out a lovely video yesterday and they'll be pushing it over the weekend. And then lots of, you know, from preschool to uh, the guards are doing something. Uh, who else? You know, choirs, community groups, GA clubs, um, those kind of things. You know, lots of sports people doing stuff. And yeah, I mean, I mean, the thing about it is, uh, it's such a simple thing to do. It's not mm. complicated, you know. Yeah, and, and now and it's, that's why it's, it's to get a push now for people to to post. I I love the idea on Sunday to see social media just flooded with the hashtag. Thanks a million. Yeah, that would be lovely. And then, and then today as well, Patricia put out. You remember that? Song, I remember you covered it last year. We did a version of Bridge Over Troubled Water for Culture Night. Yeah. And then we thought, oh my God, we should use that recording. Um, and what we've done today is, uh, and you'll, you'll find it on our Twitter handle and on our Facebook, we put out, um, we put a new video together. And, you know, a big thing for me is reflecting the Ireland of 2021 with all its wonderful diversity and colour and language and difference and so on. And um, so it's, it's multilingual. Uh, I think we've about 14 or 15 different nationalities um, and lots of people from the Fermoy International Choir, of course, involved and it's very emotional it's, it's everybody with little posters saying thank you in their own language or thank you to somebody who's helped them personally well so done. we're well hoping done. to share that as well you know okay and and the, how are the sanctuary runners getting on are you still out running well at the moment it's tricky um people are, are running uh, virtually though we, we the week before last we ran thirty-six thousand kilometers virtually <laughs> on a run through africa which we started down in south africa and got up to Tripoli in Libya via West Africa. We took a scenic route uh, over the course of a week. Oh, my God, it was unreal. Um, and loads of people supported us in the community as well. And we had people running in about 12 different countries, including a little uh, school for street children in Chad. Uh, they heard about it, and uh, 160 of the lads there uh, ran, whilst kids in other schools in Ireland were running as well. You know, it was lovely. That's fantastic. Um, yeah, it's flying ahead and uh, we're hoping uh, to set up our first groups internationally in a few months as well, just allowing a little bit of time to pass. And then uh, last week we appointed our first regional officer who is in Cork and Kerry, Neve Nikonakor, and she will be a sanctuary runner as regional officer in Cork and Kerry, uh, helping to support groups and start new groups. Uh, in both counties as well. So no, it's, it's all good. Because people in asylum centres, the pandemic's been really, really tough, uh, particularly when they get an outbreak in some of the centres. It just seems to spread throughout. And people, I mean, I, I think people don't fully understand how difficult it can be. There's one uh, wonderful Zambian woman who I've known now for a few years. Um, she has two sons, uh, one teenager and one younger and she's in the Kinsale Road Centre. When there was an outbreak there recently, she found herself and the boys in one little room for, I don't know, two weeks. Like, they literally were barely going outside the room. That's really difficult, you know, for your mental health. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and trying yeah. to self-isolate. Self-isolating is yeah. tough enough if you've got the run of your house, but to do it in, in conditions like that. Y- you must be really pleased with the news. And I was thinking of you this morning when I was reading mm. about it on, on the papers that, you know, the changes that are to be introduced in the, the, the white paper to end direct provision and its asylum seekers will be given their own accommodation. I think they will be for four months they will stay in direct provision, but then they will be given access to their own accommodation and after six months be allowed to work. Yep, there's a lot in the white paper, which is completely new. The tone is very different. 
and there's lots in there to be welcomed. Um, there are elements of it that would concern me in terms of um, the likelihood of them being achieved and achieved on time, Patricia, I suppose. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I mean, there's a saying about, you know, to plant the seed is a promise, but to actually water it is fulfillment. And I think um, we have to wait and see. I'd be, I, you'd welcome it, but um, I'd be cautious at the same time. There's been a lot of reports, a lot of uh, words on, 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 on paper over the last 20 years in relation to what will be done uh, in terms of direct provision, and it hasn't always been done. But look, yeah, you know, you can't be pessimistic all the time. It's the first time, really, that a government has made it part of policy to end direct provision. Um, it just remains to be seen if they can do it and what what happens when this bumps along the road. You know, is the commitment, will the commitment in two years' time be as strong as the commitment now, especially as we face into perhaps uncertain economic times? So we'll, we'll see, but no, it, it has to be welcomed, you're right. Okay, well, we'll we will we'll take we'll take the positive, and hopefully it will come to fruition. And you're right; it is the first first time. So I think did I hear somewhere direct provision has been in its current form has been here for like twenty years, and it was never designed to be in place for twenty years. No, so the minister, the minister for justice at the time was John O'Donoghue, who lives in Carstavine, and of course, ironically, Carstavine became the centre of this last summer. You'll remember, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was set up as a temporary measure. They thought maybe six months. Um, and 20 and years later here we are 20 years yeah just over 20 years now yeah, 20 yeah. crazy crazy okay back to our thank yous Michael says Patricia <laughs> as you're talking about thank yous I saw a lovely post on Facebook last night of a little girl who gave a lovely picture she had done to one of the Gardaí from Kinsale who was on checkpoint duty it was in, in a shan and she wanted to thank him for keeping us all safe I thought no. it was lovely says Michael it's not gorgeous they're exactly the kind of thank yous that we want for our national thank you day hashtag Thanks a million. That's where we leave it, Graham. Good luck with it. And thanks a million for joining us on the programme this morning. Thanks, Patricia. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. Your thoughts coming into the programme. We spoke about um, asylum seekers in the last hour. We just touched on it at the end of the, my interview with Graham Clifford about the National uh, Thank You Day because he's so involved with the sanctuary uh, runners and with uh, asylum seekers and very involved with the plight of asylum seekers. So I just w- was interested in his comments on the new white paper, which is going to end direct provision in this country. That led to John texting to say, Patricia, 90% of asylum seekers are bogus and refused asylum in this country. What about our own homeless people? Should they not be housed first? If you walk around Fitzgerald's Park or down the Marine in the city, you will see homeless people. Asylum seekers refused here should be deported after three months. Uh, and that's from John. But isn't therein lies uh, the problem? We Our whole asylum the way we treat asylum seekers in this country. Now, I don't know if it's 90% of asylum seekers are bogus, but absolutely there will be economic uh, asylum seekers who will come to this country and they'll come for economic reasons. They're not coming here because they're fearful of their li- of, for their lives. But there are people who come here who are in fear of their lives and do need to be given sanctuary in this country. But it's our process is all wrong and our process has been wrong for so many years. You know, the, I thought it was 20 years, but according to Graham, it could be as much as 28 years ago we set up direct provision and it was set up 
up initially to be in place for about six months and instead it, the, the same system is in place. It's, the, it's that system is wrong. So hopefully through this white paper that they're planning on bringing in that, that one of the things will be done is that the application process will be uh, speeded up and then we can find out who are the genuine asylum seekers and the bogus ones. You're right, if they're found out to be bogus then absolutely they should be deported ASAP. Thank you for your WhatsApp to 0862103103. Now lots of other commentary coming into the programme. Jim says Hi Patricia, uh, this is on the 100 euro voucher that Christopher O'Sullivan, West Cork Dáil Deputy, has suggested. Now, it's not it's not a definite, but he's suggested that it might be a nice thing to do, that when we ease up restrictions, give it to everybody over the age of 65 to say, out you go and go for a nice meal or go for a, put it towards the cost of a weekend away. Just spend it in the hospitality sector. And he says, you give it as a voucher. Don't make it complicated like the current spend tax and, or spend and, spend and save scheme with the revenue. I don't know if anybody has tried to put a claim in on that. I took a look at it when it first got launched and it was just so complicated. I just said I'd have indigestion during my meal trying to work out what I could apply for and what I couldn't apply for. Anyway there is talks of extending that scheme. Obviously the scheme wasn't there long and then all hospitality closed down but they certainly need to simplify the procedure in order for people to use it. But anyway back to the 100 euro voucher. Jim says I think the 100 euro voucher is a good idea for the over. 65s and instead of the money coming out of the exchequer, might I suggest it should come out of the TD's pay increase or they should have the decency to gift it back to the exchequer, says Jim, as they can't afford to pay student nurses. They thought a round of applause was sufficient. So maybe a round of applause is good enough for the TDs too, even though many of the electorate probably wouldn't think so and don't know, I don't know how they can face the electorate again by saying we're all in this together when they can take a pay rise when so many people are out of work due to this pandemic and lockdowns and the like of that business owner of the beauty salon in Dublin who opened up and then got arrested. She admitted that she opened up because she needed to pay her bills and feed her family and isn't it hard to blame her and then to see TDs giving themselves a pay rise. That's our Jim having his rant for today. Thank you for that, uh, Jim. Staying on the 100 euro voucher, Mavis says, I think the 100 euro voucher voucher ought to go to frontline workers. Thank you for the kind thought, says Mavis, who obviously is in the over 65 category, but we're grateful to still be here and for the kindness and dedication of others. So Mavis says, give it to the frontline workers instead. Thank you, Mavis. Catherine says, Patricia, can you tell me please, will hairdressers be opening up on the first week in March? No, Uh, they're certainly not going to be opening in the first week in March because that would be next week. Much as I would love and my hairdresser to reopen so I could go and get my hair done. They, they're not. They're certainly not going to be opening across March. I mean, the next review is going to be just before Easter. So if there's any hope of them opening, it would be the beginning of April, just after Easter, I would imagine. That's if they go for it. Haven't heard it being mentioned as a possibility. The one thing that we did take some hope from this week was Micheál Martin speaking at the parliamentary, his own parliamentary party meeting, and he has suggested and mooted that when we, when the government in Neffet look at it again at the start of April, some of the things that some of the restrictions that might be eased are a lifting of the 5k rule. Now will they lift it and allow people to go anywhere in the county? Will they lift it and allow people to go maybe 10 kilometres? I don't know but it is one of the ones that's been spoken about. I 
don't think they lift it and allow people to go anywhere in the country. I can't see that happening. The best we could hope for would be a lifting so that we could go anywhere in our own county, I think. But they also are looking at maybe some construction, getting back to work. Also been mentioned is some outdoor sports like golf and tennis, but certainly hairdressers and barbers and beauticians hasn't been mooted. That's not to say that they won't change their minds and do it. But if you're hoping to get your hair cut next week, uh, Catherine, that certainly is not is not going to happen. I did mention yesterday there was the call from the barbershop in Athlone who had written to the Taoiseach and to Neffet saying with his suggestion to allow hairdressers open for just two weeks, pick two weeks in, maybe the first two weeks in March, second two weeks in March, whenever it will be, but allow them to open just for two weeks to allow people in to get their hairs uh, cut, colours, whatever you needed doing. And he said it would also stop the amount of the amount of hairdressing and barber work and beautician work that's going on under the radio, radar in the black economy. And he's, he says he reckons there will be one way of killing that off. But it, that was just a suggestion he made to the Taoiseach and to Neffert and I don't think he had a response uh, from them. But we'll keep you posted, uh, Catherine. Thank you for your text. And Sandy says... On tourism and the environment, TDs want and love to announce green po- policies like cutting COT, CO2s and installing greenways and electric cars. They are good, but they ignore the effects of narrow ro- roads to and from tourist areas are its residents that lack safe walking routes, which, in my opinion, would actually cost a lot less. Take most narrow country roads leading to tourist attractions or a town or a village to the beaches and the roads that lead to those beaches. Some examples, says Sandy. Skibbereen to Tregumna, or Roscarbury to Onahinsha, or Goline to Barleycove, for example. There is no safe pedestrian walkway or cycle paths on any of those roads that I've just mentioned. In fact, it's almost suicidal to take a walk or a cycle on any of those roads. If a tourist wishes to use public transport, and obviously using public transport would be good for the environment, and if they decided to do that, to visit or to go on holidays, in either way they won't be able to do it because they won't be able to walk to or from the shops or even to and from the bus stops. Take the N71 from Bandon to Skibbereen. There's plenty of room for walkways on the verges, but most are overgrown with briars and bushes and trees that then scratch, scrape and break vehicles and mirrors. So Sandy reckons there's an easy solution there to get walkways in if you want to. That the infrastructure is already there just needs a little bit of work. Thank you for that uh, Sandy to 0862103103 Also coming into us over the phones Oh when I was talking about nursing homes and my really what I felt was possibly my best news story of the day the thought that we may be able to get back in to visit loved ones inside in nursing homes and it's something that's going to be looked at now a decision won't be made we don't think or an announcement won't be made until around the 11th of March and actually we're, we put a call through we're hoping to have the Nursing Homes Ireland join us on the programme on Monday just to see if they can give us any sort of a timeline or what they expect is going to be announced and what format will the visits uh, take but Bridie who is listening to us she's one of our regular listeners in a nursing home in Cove I don't know if it's Cove Community Hospital or if it's another nursing home in Cove but she's a regular listener to the programme and she was on listening to us about visiting and she said she would just like to say to if any of her family know who exactly Bridie is in the nursing home in Cove when you are coming back to visit when they do open up the doors and they're allowing visitors could you bring her in a gin and tonic please? (laughs) Friday you're a woman after my own heart stay safe and uh, stay well and hopefully it won't be long until you're enjoying that G&T 
with one of your family members. John in Cork was um this is to do with the funding crisis in the church. We know that the bishops now are going public saying that they are going to need help because many parishes are down, hugely down actually. We spoke about it on the programme a couple of weeks ago we raised the issue because I think it was it was the it was parishes in the Diocese of Kerry were, were one of the first out to say they were going already to the government for government uh, support because they were really, really uh, struggling. Well, John is taking umbrage with the fact that the church is now coming out looking for funding. He says the church should have stood up against the government. They should not have closed their doors to their people. And now because they did close their doors, they can't complain about lack of funding. Ah, Come on, John. It was they closed the doors of their churches when we went into lockdown. It wasn't that they wanted to close the doors and it wasn't that the parishioners wanted the doors closed, but they did it in order to keep their parishioners safe. And that's the reason that they had to close up. It wasn't by a choice. So I don't think it was a case of standing up to the government. They were abiding by the rules and the regulations that were put in place to protect everyone. I mean, if you went on that, every business should should decide to stand up to the government and just keep their doors uh, open. So if they need some help now, then, you know, they're just being honest and saying they do need some uh, help. Thank you for your text. Happy birthday to Carmel Murphy in Manan Bridge. Carmel, I'm told you're 90 today. Happy birthday to you. The gang in Mananbridge ICA and your many, many friends are thinking of you today. And no doubt when all of these restrictions are eased, there'll be a great big party in Mananbridge to celebrate Carmel's 90th birthday. Happy birthday to you. Robert in Cove says, uh, Patricia, are you giving out the infection rates for the for Cork County today? These are the figures. Now, I don't have John Paul obviously with me today. And normally John Paul is the one who does all of the number crunching so I can give you a rough look at it. It is good news, I can tell you that, in that the national figures for the incident rate, um, and these these come out every Thursday evening and it's for for the previous 14 days. It goes up to the previous Monday, so this would have been Monday of this week, the 22nd of February. And the national incident uh, rate is down, obviously, which is uh, terrific. It's standing at 240 per 100,000. But all the Cork electoral areas in both the city and the county are comfortably coming well under the national figure. We are just doing so well here in Cork. So just to quickly look down through the figures and the figures that were announced, this would have been for the previous 14 days. In the Mallow area, the cases for the previous 14 days, it was 58 cases. Bandon Kinsale, 59 cases. Cork City South Central Local Electoral Area, 43 cases. Cork City, for the last two weeks, 45 cases. Cork City North West, 37 cases. Cork City North East, 34 cases. And the Cork City South uh, West Local Electoral Area, 24 cases. In Carrigaline, they had 27 cases recorded over the last 14 days, while in Cove, it stood at 35 cases. Middleton, 24 cases reported. In Canturk, 22 cases. Formoy, 22. And Bantry, the West Cork Area, 24 four uh, cases. Skibbereen 66 uh, Skibbereen stands at 20 cases recorded over the last two weeks and McCroom they have the lowest incident rate per 100,000 at just 59. They had 22 cases in the last uh, two weeks and it is McCroom and Skibbereen certainly coming out the uh, highest. West Cork doing um, doing really well. Formoy actually doing well as well. But all areas really doing well. Numbers are really low and those numbers will even be lower again next week because if you were listening every day because as I say those, those figures are up to 
Monday of this week. But if you listened every day this week when they call out the numbers every day and then they'll go through I think every day this week the highest number were reported from Dublin and they'll then they'll go down through various counties and there wasn't one day this week that Cork featured as having a, a and even the numbers wouldn't even have been high but it meant that they were with the rest of the rest of the counties and I mean there were some days this week where I think the numbers were as low as 12 for the whole of Cork City and County so we're doing really well fingers crossed that we can maintain that and if we all abide by the rules and the regulations if we all do the right thing then certainly we are getting there because Eileen in West Cork says she went for a drive yesterday from Skibbereen to Clan. she wants to emphasise it was an essential journey that she had to make but she reckons she never saw so many cars on the road she said where is the lockdown that everybody's talking about the amount of cars that were out and about and Barbara in Mallow is wondering if anybody else is in the same predicament she is in she pays for her gas by one of these prepaid services and she's finding it very expensive she says for example when she puts in 20 euro onto the card 60% of it is taken up front so she's left with 8 euro worth of gas then to last her for the week does anybody else have this problem she was she was left with no gas during the very cold snap last week oh my god uh, it's the only thing I can tell you, Barbara, whenever we have any of the experts on talking about changing to a different provider, be it for gas or electricity, they all say that the prepaid gas and electricity is the most expensive way to pay for your gas or electricity. Now, a lot of people opt to do it because they don't like the idea of a gas bill or an electric bill coming in every two months. And people like to go week by week by week. So a number of people find this from balancing their books from an economic point of view they prefer to do it but from an economical point of view if you're looking at the cheapest way of guessing gas or electricity then it isn't it certainly is uh, more expensive but yeah that's tough and tough to hear that you were without gas my god uh, particularly during that cold uh, cold snap my heart goes out to you but are others noticing the saying that when Barbara goes to top up she puts in the 20 euro and 60% is gone straight away and I'm assuming that's because it's been used already is it and it's kind of a payback is that what it is anybody else noticing that 1850 and I'm just seeing some breaking news uh, coming in here on the story out of Mitchellstown on the the double murder of the two brothers at the farmhouse uh, near Mitchellstown. It's just now being reported that they have recovered the body of a third man. His body, the third man, was recovered in a river in a, reco- a remote location near the farmhouse. This is breaking news from RT. They understand the mother, the the they understand that the third body that's been found is a brother of the two deceased. Oh my goodness, that's such a tragic, tragic uh, family story. And may they all rest in peace and uh, our thoughts uh, with the family of those three brothers. Uh, 1850 The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council's Community Support Programme, here to assist vulnerable people with their daily needs through the COVID-19 pandemic. See corkcoco.ie. And a reminder of something we spoke about earlier in the week, Cork Camogie and Jigsaw Cork. They're holding a virtual 5K. It's to raise funds for both organisations. Families and individuals are asked to run, jog or cycle 
five kilometres between today and next Sunday, the 28th of February. You can sign up and support Camogie and Jigsaw. Of course, Jigsaw supporting mental health in young people. You can check out Cork Camogie or Jigsaw on social media to register for the 5K or to simply make a donation. And World Wildlife Day will take place on Wednesday next week, the 3rd of March, and Cork Nature are inviting Cork Nature Network are inviting you to join Professor John Quinn from UCC via Zoom where he will be giving some fascinating insights into the lives of birds to register for what is a free event simply go on to eventbrite.ie and Kinsale Atlantic artists are holding pink for Daffodil Day, window and online exhibition. It runs from Thursday the 11th of March to Monday the 29th of March, with proceeds going directly to the Irish Cancer Society's Daffodil Day. Court today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103. Okay, a bunch of comments coming in and this, this one made me smile. Can anybody help out this listener says, hi Patricia, I'm just wondering, did any of you listeners get the Cork advertiser this week? I picked up a copy of it and I'm trying to do the word search on page 14. But for the life of me, I can't find one word. Was it a misprint or am I going crazy in this lockdown? So anybody out there that got this week's Cork Advertiser, which is a great little read. Did you do the word search uh, on page 14? And uh, did you find all the words? If you did, can you let us know? Or if like this listener, you did it all and you still can't find one word. It could just be that it is a misprint. If anybody can help us with that, uh, please do. 1853. 33103. The Vatican is the wealthiest in the world. Look after its own clerics, says Petra, who doesn't feel that the government should be bailing out and giving any money to the Catholic Church. Somebody else says, Patricia, there's an old fridge lying on the side of the Cork Road outside of Charleville. It wasn't there yes, uh, yesterday, isn't that? Just... Like to go to the bother uh, and a fridge, which is an electrical product, which is free to recycle, to go to the bother of putting it into the boot of a car or a van or a pickup or a trailer and then to drive it outside of Charleville and just dump it there. It's just, and instead of going onto a civic community site or even going onto any electrical shop who will take the fridge back for free. There's no charge on it. Anything with a plug gets recycled for free. It's just so annoying. And you know, the council will have to go and clear that up. It's just shocking. Opening up of schools and hairdressers. It's crazy opening anything at the moment. The government just can't be taught common sense, says this texture. Common sense should be taught uh, should be taught when schools reopen. People don't seem to have any sense of reasoning to come to sensible conclusions these days. Wait, we will see a fourth wave if we don't cop on. Serious stupidity going on across the board. Lives versus hairdos. Do's. Dear God, says this listener. And hairdos, if hairdos win, what kind are we all with that kind of carry on? Somebody who wants to see us completely in lockdown. And that's exactly what Christopher O'Sullivan said. There is like it's like a 50-50 split. There are some people think the restrictions are too tough. We need to reopen. And there's others just say, no, we need to stick with it. And if anything, we need to even have stronger uh, lockdowns. And when we're talking about the 100 euro, the possibility of over 65s getting 100 euro. A listener says, Patricia, do you know that President Trump gave all Americans $1,200 by way of a COVID payment before Christmas? Christmas plus $600. A lot of 
Irish benefited from it. Anybody living in Ireland who took out American citizens simply got a cheque through the post from President Trump. Isn't he a great man? And that was, yeah, and the, the thought behind that was it was to help people out with COVID, wasn't it? People who'd lost their jobs, but it also was to try to put money back into the economy. But obviously people, Americans living here in Ireland or people with American citizens benefited as well. Would millionaires receive that €100, Euro, says a texter? Is this a joke? The country is broke. Well, yeah, it wouldn't be means tested if it's approved to go to everybody over the age of 65. So yeah, absolutely everybody would get it. Someone else says, I agree wholeheartedly with Jim, one of your earlier texters. The TDs and the councillors have absolutely no shame. Put them on the 350 euro pandemic payment as they're not operating on full capacity. Just wait for the next election. So somebody who wants a bit of a rant about politicians today. And Patricia, so many people surviving on the pandemic payment that gives them half or less of what they were earning before they were forced out of work. And then you hear that the people in charge of this lockdown continue to get rises. What bugs me is many of them are getting the same expenses for fuel, etc. when they're not even travelling during this pandemic. It's greed at its best. That is from Anthony. And hi, Patricia, can you tell me, please, are we able to visit a graveyard outside of our 5K at the moment? I can't keep up with all of the different restrictions. You can if you're going to visit a loved one's grave and it is outside the 5K, you are still allowed to do that under level five restrictions. 1850-333-103. Bernie taking your calls. If you would like to text or WhatsApp, you can 0862-103-103. And Mark Malone, our movie reviewer, joins me this afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Mark. Hi, Patricia. And uh, thanks a million for your suggestion last week, News of the World with Tom Hanks. Which you did see, Gorgeous movie. It's a beautiful film, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, it's a gorgeous, gorgeous movie. Okay, this week's suggestions are Barb and Star go to Vista Dell, and then there's a second movie called Cats and Dogs Three Paws Unite. We are starting with a quick trailer from Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar, which is a bit of a mouthful <laughs> of a, a title of a movie. Here we go. What are you doing? Oh, I was just playing with this lamp. Oh. <laughs> I'm Star. Short for Starbra. Assume yours is Barbara. Nope, just Barb. <laughs> Plain old Barb. I want to thank Barb and Star for hosting tonight's Talking Club and for making their hot dog soup. I like the salt. I like the hot dog. It's not as runny as it usually is. Ah, what is she drawing? Oh, she gives me bigger teeth. Love big teeth. She loves big teeth. Even if it's just two eyes on a bunch of teeth. It would be so nice. Look, my new phone case. It's like I'm listening to the ocean. Wait, we don't have cell phones. I know I'm going to take it home and glue it to our landline. Hi. I'm Barb, and this is Star. Roll number again, please, sir. 611. 611? Oh, my... Barb. Oh, my gosh, she's 611. 611? We're in 124. <gasps> <laughs> okay, we've got uh, two girls going on a holiday who sound a bit blonde and bimbo-ish. Uh, no, they're middle-aged. middle-aged. Uh, yeah, oh. yeah. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, they talk like that throughout the whole film. I mean, there is a scene, for example, where they just talk and talk and talk and talk, where they decide to, to, to leave the Midwest and go to Florida, to uh, Vista Del Mar, and they get one on one of these kind of... It's called a red-eye, one of these overnight kind yep. of uh, flights uh, to Florida, and they start talking at the airport. They continue talking on the plane when everybody else is asleep. When everybody wakes up, when they finally land, they're still talking.
still talking and they talk like that throughout uh, the whole film. So a lot will depend on whether or not that gives you a headache or you actually kind of think that's kind of funny, you know. And the level of that joke there where there's basically uh, Jamie Dornan says that he's in the fifth floor, they're in the first floor as if, you know, they're right next Beside door to each, each other. other yeah. yeah, and so that, a lot of the, the gags, unfortunately, uh, kind of do kind of fall flat. And um, it is one of the silliest films I've ever seen, <laughs> to be brutally honest with you. And I've read some reviews where people said this is the kind of film we re- read like right now because it is so silly. But it kind of kind of depends on whether or not you think silly is funny. Do you know what I mean? Uh, I mean, if you take something like, um, um, I don't know, uh, Monty Python, for example, they always kind of reference their sketches as being very silly, but there was kind of a satirical edge to all of the everything that they did, they which made it really funny. Yeah. So it depends. Is silly really funny or is it silly just being silly? And unfortunately, I kind of didn't really kind of think it was as funny as it possibly could have should have been. They, they throw everything at the screen. It's written by um, the two ladies. It's written by Annie Momolo and Kristen Wegg who wrote um, Bridesmaids. Oh, yeah, but no, that, I loved Bridesmaids. Exactly, yeah, but that had a kind of a cutting edge to it, you know what I mean? Whereas yeah. kind of this doesn't, this is just downright silly. And they throw everything at you uh, at the screen, uh, including musical numbers, but which are written in a very, very kind of silly way. There's a scene where uh, Jamie Dornan, who's also in the film, for example, he, he's climbing up a tree at one stage, and I'm kind of paraphrasing, but he kind of says, I'm climbing up the tree because I feel like I'm like a cat, because that's what a cat does he climbs a tree and this is the kind of level of uh, some of the kind of lyrical content of some of those now it's meant to be silly and it's deliberately so but is it funny and that's part of the problem for me because for me a lot of the jokes just simply crashed and there are an awful lot of them because they are just fired at you and fired at you uh, constantly throughout the whole film and uh, and I think it's a bit of a shame now the thing is it's, uh, it's after getting very very good reviews although there seems to be a kind of an, an Atlantic divide in America they've really loved it over here I think the critics have been a little bit on the sniffy side but I have gone on the board and people have said, look, you know, we like it. We think it's really funny. We think it's really silly. And um, so I'm wondering, is it just maybe just me? Yeah, well, you know, it's 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 funny when you, when you were saying for for the times that we're living in. I think at times when you are picking a movie for a Saturday night, you want something that's not going to tax the brain. And this certainly is not going to tax the brain. Exactly. Yeah, and I th- did think it's a great girls' night in film, for example. Yeah. But you know, a lot of men on the boards have said that they thought it was very very funny as well. And um, but a lot will think. Uh, I think whether or not you like Kristen Wiig because it, you know if you go on YouTube and you look at a lot of the characters that she did on SNL a lot yeah. of them were very good but a lot of them kind of crashed and burned and this was like to me an SNL five minute sketch which is kind of stretched uh, you know it just to, goes on too long exactly yeah but and every, as I say there's so much happening you know there's a, there's a, there's a talking crab for example there's um, one of these kind of um, lounge piano players who every time he comes on screen he's singing a song about boobies for example <laughs> and they actually want they actually sent that into the um, the Oscars by the way um, oh. hoping that it would be nominated it won't be because again it, it's not really quite as funny as I wanted it to be now the, one of the producers is Will Ferrell here now the thing is is that I think last year didn't I um, I didn't particularly like his Sherlock Holmes film very no, much no, I think no, it was very yeah. good but I went back and watched it recently yeah. and I actually enjoyed it more because now I know what he was trying to achieve with it because it was very very silly and I do wonder if I come back to this in six months time Maybe I'll warm to it a little bit more, but you know, uh, than I did. Um, I wanted to like it more because it's you know it's so beautiful to look at. There's so much enthusiasm. They've obviously Sa- put an awful lot of hard work in good, it. There's it? a lot of songs in yeah. it, and there's a lot of songs and kind of musical numbers that they've written themselves. And um, and it's it is a joyous film, but unfortunately for me, it wasn't as funny as I wanted it to be. But there's a lot of people out there who do think it's funny. So I think I'll go away. I'll wait six months. I think I'll go wa- watch it again, and it'll be interesting to see 
see if I have a different point of view then. Okay. But uh, for me, it's just all over the place, and um, uh, which is a bit of a shame. Okay, so a silly night in movie, if that's what <laughs> yeah. you're looking for. This weekend, Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar. Mark it out of 10? I'll give it a five. Five out of 10, okay. <laughs> now, Cats and Dogs 3, Paws Unite. Yeah, I mean, it's strange that they make this now. I mean, the the first film was made, what, 20 years ago, I think? And it had a great cast. And it was really fun. Jeff Goldblum yeah. was in it. And, yeah. You know, and uh, I really, really liked it. I don't remember the second film very much, but I remember, I think, not particularly liking it very I much. I didn't realise there was a second one until I saw three. Yeah, I, I did was, watch it. Yeah. yeah, but I don't remember enjoying it. And I don't think it was very good. It kind yeah. of, it's, it suffered from serialitis, I think. And I don't think that's the, 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 the problem with it. Here, 20 years later, I don't know, is it a cash grab? They decided, look, we've got some money tucked away somewhere and let's make another one of these uh, cats and dogs movies. If you remember the first one was all about the tension between cats and dogs mm. which made it kind of very funny because of course they're very different and which is why I think in it was reality, a lovely movie. In life I think there are cats people and there are dog people yeah. and I think there's a reason for that. Do you know what I mean? Uh, but now with this film uh, cats and dogs have united. They are together and um, they run this organisation called Furry Animals Rivalry Termination. F-A-R-T. Now that joke is told within the first 10 seconds of the film and then it's repeated again within the next 20 seconds so that's kind of the level now that we are at at this film so keep that in mind uh, there's still some t- tension between cats and dogs but they are united and they basically rule the kind of animal world here but there is still some tension between some of the cats and dogs for example the cats really kind of are still disgusted with the fact that dogs you know sniff their bums and stuff whereas cats would <laughs> never do such a thing because they're so superior you know what I mean and so there is some kind of good stuff here also the animals are real which is good unlike say the film I saw recently with the Harrison Ford, uh, Call of the Wild, where they CGI the dog. Here, all the here, here, all the animals are very, very well trained. But it's their mouths that have been computer generated, so they kind of talk and speak, and okay. that's kind of nice to see. And and and, and the, the 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 animals are very, very well trained and are very cute and and nice to look at. Basically, what the story is, um, the, the, the 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 cats and dogs basically rule the animal world. This parrot wants to take over the world, wants to kind of reduce the amount of impact that cats and dogs have in the animal world to uh, kind of raise. Uh, other animals in the world up the food chain and and, and rule over cats and dogs and um, and that's kind of basically the story of it really uh, there is a kind of a, a side story of uh, the owner of the cat and the dogs here the two owners of uh, this uh, boy and girl and this kind of blossoming kind of teen romance and I think that's possibly part of the problem and why the film wasn't a particularly big success because 10 year olds are going to love seeing the animals yeah. and they're going to love all that but they're not they're going to hate the teen romance stuff and teenagers are not going to watch this to watch the teenagers because it's about cats and dogs yeah. talking and the silly kind of little movie um, it's not very good I'm afraid it's not even as good as the second film unfortunately and um, it uh, didn't do particularly well when it did go uh, to cinemas it didn't do very well uh, it was only in cinemas for a while uh, it did cost 17 million do you know what the one thing I did like about it though that I thought was really cute do you remember <laughs> Skippy the Bush Kangaroo I when did. Skippy used to open doors yeah. and basically what they used to do is they used to have like two chopsticks or something and they had like paws stuck on the top of it they've done that here and I you know <laughs> they, they could have been really clever they could have tried to make it look better. They could have CGI'd it. They didn't. It's basically two chopsticks trying to open doors and press buttons. I thought that was really cute and I liked that about it. Um, but that was just about all I did like about it. Oh, wow. Well, okay. So so what age group would you say? Uh, ten-year-olds. Yeah, ten-year-olds ten, will yeah. love the animals. They yeah. love, you know, they will love them. Okay, so market out of ten? Uh, two. 
two. Oh, <laughs> and that's for the 10 year olds in the household. OK, Mark, listen, have a have a good. We'll chat you again next week and you'll be up next uh, filling in for Nick. Thanks for that. Uh, and uh, we will speak with Mark. More movie suggestions again next uh, Friday. Just quickly looking at some of your texts coming in. Oh, one an American citizen living in this country wants to clarify somebody who said earlier that all Americans living in Ireland received those checks through the letterbox from Donald Trump says Patricia don't think what the person said about the US citizens living in Ireland receiving President Trump's rescue package is it all correct I live here with my family we're all US citizens and I know of several other families and none of us received the money so obviously the listener that did get it and obviously other family members got it you were the chosen few because not everybody got it Marion from Oise says on the Catholic Church needing a little bit of a dig out financially I think the Catholic Church should be supported after all they are the people who kept us from going mad during lockdown as we've had masses streamed from nearly every church where would we what would we have done without that says Mary taking great comfort from watching mass online Esther says Patricia I think if the hairdressers could open for just say taking five appointments a day to start with regardless of the size of the premises and phase it in gradually what will happen I fear like the last time is that the owners will fill the seats and then it'll become too busy for comfort the last time I went to a hairdresser the poor girls couldn't even talk with the tiredness they were doing 12 hour uh, days they were but I would be very surprised to hear of any salon that was packing them in I mean certainly anywhere I heard of they had to limit the numbers that came in and that's the reason they were doing 12 hour days was to try to get through as many of their clients as they could but I think it's a good suggestion I think I wonder but then would it be financially viable for hairdressers to open if they could only take five appointments a day I mean it has to be commercially viable as well I mean I think the guy in Athlone the barber was saying it was open for two weeks to let people at least get their hair done but I can't see it people are saying please say hairdressers will open soon I can't see anything coming any leaks or suggestions so far that would indicate that they are going to open sooner rather than later and Dan says Patricia I look forward to the end of Covid so we won't have to have we will no longer have to listen on a daily basis to the I'm not going to use that word but to the people in the doll who are able to give themselves a pay rise remember the hullabaloo about the 90k pay rise for the Department of Health job which is coincidentally linked to the doll salary rates what was the outcome on that that went through last week actually kind of quietly that uh, pay rise uh, did go through Dan that you're talking about it's probably not what you want to hear uh, today um, Thank you for your text to 0862 103 103. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to Bernie Murphy standing in for John Paul uh, today. I'll be back with you Monday morning at 10 o'clock. On to the line, Patricia Messenger. Enjoy your weekend and stay safe. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.